RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. Yes, welcome back to episode 40 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name's Jamie Bain and today I interview Scott Pearson, formerly of Sail Sharks, uh, Doncaster Knights and Worcester Warriors uh, and since worked with British Cycling and is now doing his own private stuff with Fit Fast Strong. Uh, we talk about um, all things rugby SNC and look at his time with British Cycle and what he's learned from there that he can he can now apply with rugby uh, and some some really good information in there. So give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hi Scott, welcome to Rugby Renegade Podcast. Great to have you on. Why don't we start by you just uh, telling us a bit about your background, uh, how you got into strength and conditioning, and some of the teams and sports you work with. Uh, thanks. Um, yeah, so my my background is I've been a, an SNC coach in one guise or another since uh, since about 2003, um, so 15 years. The vast majority of that has been in rugby union. So I worked at Sail Sharks from uh, 2003 to about 2009. Um, went over then to Doncaster Knights for about 18 months and then down to Worcester Warriors and uh, three and a bit years down there. Uh, then I left rugby, a little bit of time working in football at Stoke City, um, and then about three years or so uh, in cycling, with British Cycling up in Manchester. So um, left there in the new year, and um, I've started my own business now, doing strength and conditioning uh, for cycling, cycling enthusiasts, and uh, anyone who needs some strength and conditioning support. Awesome. So... Like obviously working with British Cycling, that must have been a, a great experience. What sort of things have you have you learnt there, or or have you developed there that you could you could apply to your time in rugby? Looking back, uh, more of an analytical approach to it. So um, ultimately, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of the way I look at it is that um, in sports like rugby, like chaotic sports like rugby union, there's a lot of unknowns. So uh, my my master's uh, dissertation was on rugby union and what physical quality was the most important for a, any given position on the pitch. Um, and basically, it was inconclusive. <laughs> um, uh, other than other than speed over ten meters. So what I looked at was was you know a, a strength, speed, speed, power, actually a bunch of physical characteristics and how that related or correlated to uh, gain line success either in attack or defence on the pitch. And other than ten like ten meter speed, nothing correlated, and, and and even speed was relatively weak correlation. So there's a lot of unknowns in rugby. Um, so I, I guess that you do stuff not for the sake of it, but because of other people. Other people do it, or it's within the culture of the sport, and um, no kind of defined rationale as to why certain things are done in certain ways. Whereas with cycling, it's such um, uh, such a measured sport. You can directly correlate, you know, an increasing squat strength, for example, to particular parameters on the on the track, the velodrome track. 
So a bit more of an analytical approach. I think in certainly the Northern Hemisphere, if there was greater collaboration between teams, that would be strengthened. Um, but it tends to be quite a closed shop and, and one club doesn't like sharing data with another club. So anything you try and implement tends to be quite small sample sizes and you're very hard to kind of read anything into anything meaningful in, anything meaningful into what you're trying to look at unfortunately yeah that's interesting and in terms of just kind of like the personalities and, and the, the culture of cycling how, how different is that to, to the kind of rugby environment chalk and cheese completely yeah. completely different um, because cycling is an individual sport I think there's, there's there's a lot more certainly with sprint cycling that I was, I was mainly involved with there's a lot more kind of buy-in into uh, certainly the strength training side of it um, a lot more questions asked a lot more kind of um, uh, seriousness placed upon it not that rugby players didn't take it seriously but the the success or failure of a, of a strength training session in a lot of environments I've worked in in rugby environments has been you know, did the lads like it sort of thing did, did they get a bit of a pump on it wasn't about did they actually increase their power or did it you know did they get stronger or did they increase the range of movement? Whereas with with cyclists, um, there's far more of a, a an emphasis on the, the physical outcomes and how that will affect them on the bike. Um, so yeah, that that was the main thing. Yeah, and and do you see that that kind of changing a bit in the kind of rugby environment now when you've got you know measures of you know force and power output and speed from you you know like your gym awares and things like that do you think that will kind of change as people have better equipment and technology potentially if you, if you can if you can directly relate you know a five percent increase in strength or power in, in a given exercise to i don't know um great momentum or higher impacts through your gps on a pitch then i think i think anybody needs that um What's the word that that they're supposed to relate one thing to another thing? Yeah. Um, and I think you know, just just sort of, it's easy to relate being generally stronger or being generally fitter to being more successful on the pitch. But if you can directly relate, you know, X equals Y, then then anybody can can see the benefit in doing it, or doing it in that way, or doing it at that time, or whatever that might you know the parameters might be. Yeah, I agree. But I think I think I know what you're saying before about you know kind of doing it for how the players feel. I've seen kind of power sessions or sessions that have been yeah. kind of called power sessions, and it's just yeah. the guys going and just move weights relatively fast and go, oh, that's power. Yeah. But unless yeah. you've got a measure and, and you know what that measure's related to, um, you're not really developing it. Um, a good man to speak to on that is I don't know if you've done anything with with Nick Grantham. Yes, yeah, we've had him on yeah. the podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've, I've spoke, he's done a lot oh, with, with velocity based training, and, and I think he has some some um, dealings with, with push band. But, you know, his, his philosophy is, you know, it, the actual numbers don't matter. It's, it's generating that competitive environment, and yeah. Yeah, people just want to move it quicker, regardless of what the, the number is or, or whatever. And that's, that's a good way of looking at it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because I've even done things where, you know, basing jump squat loads on percentage of 1RM squat and things. Yeah. Uh, but you find you find you get better session if you just put all the players on the same weight because they mm. can they can actually compete then. Um, like yeah. I say, you get that real competitive buzz. That's definitely something. Yeah. So look, I think getting, getting um, another difference between cycling and, and rugby is that 
the preparation periods in cycling are, are very, very long, especially with the Paralympic athletes that I was involved with. I mean, you can have an 18 to 24 week kind of building to a, to a race. Wow. <laughs> um, you, and you don't have to cope with, and they get, obviously get fatigued from the, from the on-bike training, but they don't have to cope with all the bumps and bruises and the variety of different you know distances that a rugby player might have run or the amount of impacts or level of impacts or or weather conditions. So you, you've got a relatively consistent environment to work in. So you, you can measure, you can see those progressions on a, on a weekly, monthly basis, whereas that's more difficult in rugby. You might have two or three good weeks, then someone's got a dead leg or someone's got smashed up and... It's, it's hard to kind of make those weekly progressions, especially in season, obviously. Yeah, definitely. So talking specifically about rugby now, what, what's your kind of S&C philosophy for developing rugby players? Uh, strength. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you're, it's the foundation to all the other physical qualities. So as I mentioned earlier on, you know, speed was, was the determining factor um, in, in my study but you know the foundation of, of speed is, is a good base level of strength um, and any other given obviously power is strength times speed mobility you need strength through range uh, balance it's, you know even even anaerobic and aerobic conditioning you need certain levels of strength so um, and if you look at injuries as well you know strong strong players are injured less and when they are injured they return from injury quicker than, than weaker players so if you get players strong uh, and balanced then you're on to a winner yeah definitely <laughs> definitely agree with that and I something we've uh, we've been in touch about uh, like discussing blood flow restriction training uh, yeah. we've recently had an article on that and just want to sort of hear how you've used it in the past with your athletes only really use it in cycling and it was uh, as I said with, with the with the Paralympic cyclists that I had I mean, we it was used at British cycling with with cyclists of of able-bodied and and, um, and disabled and across multiple disciplines but personally I used it with the Paralympic guys predominantly um, and that was it was really really effective um, one of the, the the main injury in cycling generally is lower back pain uh, for a variety, you know, the sign of flex position, uh, twisting the spine. <laughs> so it's, you know, how to wreck your back 101. <laughs> uh, so there's a significant amount of, of riders that can't load a bar on the shoulders. So, you you, you know, and, and the, the crossover between things like leg press to the bike just isn't the same as from, from a squatting a bar to the bike. So developing that strength and hypertrophy in the quads um, is really really quite important, uh, and finding novel ways of doing that with people who can't load through the spine, um, again, was really really important. So that was a really good method to be used. Yeah, and um, so mentioned kind of leg press in there. How how um, would you like some? I know some clubs will use leg pressing with with players, and often it's kind yeah. of frowned upon. What would, what would your thoughts be on that? As opposed to actually loading, in, in terms of rugby, you know, um, it's horses for courses. It depends on what you want to use it for. So, I, I, all things being equal, I'd I'd like to use a back squat as a you know, kind of a, a bilateral lower measurement of, of strength. But not all players can load like that. So, uh, I'd use a leg press 
and I might not have done when I was in rugby, but you know, going through the, the experience of cycling, I, this is the way I do it now. So I'd, I'd use a leg press either as an alternative method of developing leg strength or as an assistance exercise to develop you know, weaknesses through the squat, which will then improve the squat, which will be our lower body measure. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'd, I'd use it in that way. Um, we were fortunate enough at cycling to work with a company called Sportess. They do a lot of work in rugby, you might have heard of them. Yeah. Uh, and they, they built a, an eccentric leg press for us. Okay. Um, which had a, a pneumatic pistons in. So when you, you extended your legs, you're 45 degree leg press, when you extended your legs up to a certain level, it turned the sensors on, which, which pushed negatively, pushed you back down again with whatever level of um, uh, weight you kind of set on the dial uh, so we could do like yielding work which was, was really really effective um, horrendously hard but really really beneficial really really effective yeah but I'm, I'm glad you touched on that eccentric training because a few a few guests on the podcast in the past have kind of highlighted that as a something that's kind of missing quite a lot in in sports and, and rugby as well yeah. um, it's just it's hard to, it's hard and impractical to implement that's yeah. One of the main reasons, I would think, yeah. There's all these like flywheel trainers that are going, going around now, aren't they? Like the K-Box and stuff. Um, and I would call it an eccentric overload rather than pure eccentric work, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. Are there any, any other ways, you, like I said, it's impractical, any other potential ways you could apply it without having like the use of the leg press, like you said, or, or the K-Box, or like weight tr- weight releases and things like that? Is it is it the same? Just doing slowly. Yeah, I mean, other than other than like you know, so if you take a squat or a bench press again as an example, you know, you over, assuming you're doing supra maximal um, eccentrics, just overload the bar, get the athlete to 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 yield the weight over a three, four, five second period, and then get spotters on the side to lift it back up again. Yeah, um, it's just yeah, <laughs> either completely or partially. To, to, you know, either or blood or like truly, truly eccentric. Yeah. Um, and then, but then you've got the issue that it's, you know, you've got one or two or three people kind of standing around and spotting while one person's working. So then, yeah, it was impractical. And, and there's a, there's a significant injury risk. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, and your other ways are kind of like drops and lands and things, things like that. Yeah. So yeah. let's move on to, uh, injury prevention and, uh, what's your, kind of philosophy in terms of obviously as essences we worked to improve performance but also injury prevention is a huge part of, yeah. of that and being then being able to improve performance long term is staying injury free so how do you kind of approach that in your training is it already built into your programming or do you add extra things or both uh, both so what, what I um, so like going to cycling now because it's a bit of an easier sport relatively easiest program, uh, sport to program for is I'd have a say a lot of cyclists now that come to me have got no strength training experience whatsoever uh, complete beginners but they may have been riding on the bike 15, 20, 30 years plus um, so I don't put in initially I don't put in any specific you know what I would determine in your prevention work um, I just do a really really simple basic program make sure it's coached as effectively as I possibly can. Um, and that I've found is a really, really good injury prevention tool within itself, just sort of learning the mechanics of the basic movements and getting stronger. And it, 
the program's done as such so that you, you target areas like the glutes and, and hamstrings which are uh, and upper back which are typically kind of weak um you know working on hip, rdl so hip hinging and things like that which are which are poor typically in cyclists so spend a bit of time getting those basic mechanics up, up and running and then as you're kind of gradually phasing in um uh, supplementary movements that are common to cycling so you know a lot of calf work for example shoulder health because they sit in a flex position all the time uh, and you know eventually then make it more and more kind of individualized and more and more bespoke to particular cyclists so you know if i work back in rugby again i'd employ a, a similar um process um so you know you're looking at you know good quality shoulder health for, for back row players centers hamstring health for, for your backs particularly outside backs you know adductor and hip health for very inside backs you know etc etc neck healthy type four five forwards and things like that yeah I, I like that kind of having that that framework of having the basics in place first then you know individualizing whether it's position or, or from previous injuries and things like that I think often the problem is when people you know they they go too far to the individual side and lose yeah. that basic element and, and yeah I, I, I certainly you know looking back in in my time you know I'd completely change it now and you, you kind of get a bit carried away with your programming, don't you? When you want to throw anything and everything—not anything, but you want to throw everything at, at the players. You know, you must do this and you must do that, and you've got before you know it, you've got 15, 20 different things that they're trying to do, and they don't know what to concentrate on. They don't know what's important. Um, yeah, yeah what's exactly. that hat on sort of thing? Yeah, and and you kind of mentioned the cycling is kind of easier to program for, um, and you know you, you've worked in Premiership and Championship in rugby. Obviously, yeah. both attritional leagues. Like how how would you approach that now? Uh, I'd, I'd I'd dumb everything down. So I, I'd make it very very simple. Have um, two, maybe three key lifts for each for each player that I'd, I'd um, uh, kind of hang you know base all my progressions on. Um, so off the top of my head, you know, a, a, a squat, a, a deadlift, and a maybe a bench press or something like that. Um, work off those two or three lifts. That might change going through the season, so you might want to bring in something, something explosive like a clean, assuming they've got the technique to be able to do something like that. Um, and base all my um, progressions uh, and assessments and performance indicators on those. And those three things and just manipulate those bring in accessory accessory list for those and, and like I said you're on mental exercises for injury prevention yeah now I think I think that's more the kind of common theme is that there's kind of smaller uh, number of exercises being used um, but yeah. it's kind of how you how you program them and how you use them is, is how yeah. it's kind of progressing but no, that sounds cool. So uh, this is a question we ask all the guests on the podcast, and it's uh, what is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? <laughs> I, I am I'm firmly convinced that there's a lot of um, body dysmorphia in rugby players. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, how many players have you worked with that have been told since they were kids that they aren't big enough? Yeah. 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 A lot, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah, you're not big enough. You're not big enough. You're not big. So, to a man, every single player I've ever worked with wants to be bigger, um, whether that's right for their kind of stature or not. And 
a lot of their um, kind of perception on on how good a, a training program is is based on whether it makes them bigger or not. Not does it make them stronger? Does it make them more robust? Does it make them more powerful? Does it make them quicker? Um, <clears throat> so uh, yeah, the, the, kind of getting that message across to coaches and to players, I think, um, is is quite important. Um, I forgot your question. Actually. <laughs> yeah, what's the what's the biggest mistake rugby players make in essence? Yeah, so essence? yeah, concent- concentrating on on the kind of the fluff rather than the core um, aspect of what a strength and conditioning program should be out to achieve. Yeah, yeah. I think I've heard a coach in the past say keep keeping the goal the goal and make so making yeah. sure you know your your training to improve performance, not just to get get bigger and and look better essentially. <laughs> Yeah, which to be fair, like goes back to like my, my comment at the start was knowing what the goal is, and that's quite difficult. Um, I remember at Worcester we had you know a really strong emphasis on you know low skin folds and things things like that, and um, we had a really really lean squad. Uh, not like apart from Andy Good, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so that was sort of 2011 2012 uh, ish. Um, and yeah, but it didn't make us win matches. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if you looked at successful teams, um, Saracens being one of them, you know, they had players like Matt Stevens, um, the Vunipolas, who you know, with respect, aren't the leanest players. Yeah. But they were knocking our players on their ass. You know, and ultimately it's about winning the game line and getting getting front football, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. So maybe. With hindsight, yeah, slightly different approach would have been better. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. Like, you always want to, you know, improve body composition, things like that. But you know, ultimately, if if someone's an amazing player and their skin folds yeah. aren't great, they're still they're still going to play. Um, Absolutely, yeah, hundred yeah. 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 percent. Cool. So, what? Um, another, again, another question we we ask all the guests is: uh, What advice would you give to an upcoming strength conditioning coach? Um, do your time. <laughs> uh, co- you know, coach people, coach people from uh, different sports, different backgrounds. Think outside the box. I mean, my experience recently with the uh, the EIS has been that there's a whole host of different kinds of athletes in different kinds of sports, which make you think in completely different ways. Um, and when I, you know, you might have been the same when I was. Uh, going through my degree and, and training early parts of my career, all you could think of being as an SNC coach is working in football, rugby, um, or, or other, you know, or team sports like that. Yeah. But Olympic sports, you know, I, I know a guy who's the the Paralympic table tennis <laughs> strength and conditioning coach and uh, archery yeah. table tennis coach and you know uh, archery strength and conditioning coach and there's obviously things like hockey, swimming. Basketball, volleyball, all the winter sports, um, you know, freestyle, snowboard, and ski. A friend of mine, uh, Darren Roberts, works with Red Bull, so he's got athletes like Danny McCaskill and free riders and things like that. And just being around people like that and just exploring the way they solve similar problems, which with different kinds of athletes, just just broadens your horizons and makes you think about things in different ways sometimes yeah and I think it goes back to what you said uh, you know right at the start that 
because because you can measure improvement in their yes. sports you can you can experiment with things and actually see if it has been effective whereas yeah. you know in in rugby you could put in you know a really effective training block um and then go and lose three or four games and you know but you may have improved performance but you know you can't you know you can't really gauge that through through game yeah. results can you so um no not at all not, not, in, not, not in quite chaotic sports you know and another thing to think about it is that there's a, there's a prevalence now of, of what I would call like a textbook trainer, more like the more of the sport science end of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, and they've got all the knowledge in the world. Um, you know, you could, they could cite any paper you like and, and know, but when it comes to actual practical coaching, uh, hands on with an athlete, they aren't that good. Yeah. Um, so applying that knowledge, you know, in practice, and, and being a coach, yeah. um, I think it's really, really important. Yeah, I mean, that's my, whenever people ask me for advice how to get get involved in things, it's just get involved in whatever you can at any level, you know, because the more you coach, the more lessons you learn, the more you pick up. Uh, and that will build your kind of network as well in terms of networking for different things as well. Yeah. The amount of people now have come out of, they've gone you know, straight from school into uni, straight from an undergraduate into a postgraduate, um, maybe graduate from that at 22, 23 and expect to get a job in full-time professional sport. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. With, with, with zero coaching experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk a bit about what, what you're doing now with your, your private work. Yeah, so uh, I've got a, a place here in Lim, which is uh, in Cheshire, just kind of between Manchester and Liverpool. Um Working with cycle with anyone, but that, you know, marketing for cyclists, keeping it to to what I know, um, trying to change the culture of cycling. So your, your typical kind of weekend warrior, um, probably never lifted a weight in their life, um, and have you know, I can buy into all these myths that you know, strength training makes you slow, strength training makes you heavy. Um, when they do any kind of, you know, what the term strength and conditioning, it's a token sort of circuit type thing. Um, so trying to trying to dispel a lot of those myths, working with some cyclists and and, and make them better, really. You know? yeah. So yeah. Oh, sounds cool. Sounds cool. And um, lastly, while we're just going to finish up, where can people learn more about you and, and the work you're doing? Um, on the usual sort of social media. So I'm on on Twitter, which is at FastFitStrong. Um, same at Fast Fit Strong for Facebook and I'm on Instagram as well uh, at cycle.strength.coach um, and fastfitstrong.com is our website which will be up and running in the very near future hopefully oh, cool and of course we'll share we'll share links to all of those on in the show notes um, thanks, but Scott thanks thanks for you know sharing your time with us um, great to hear about um you know your your work with British cycling and and what you're doing now, but also tying that back into into rugby. Uh, so appreciate that, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks. All the best. Cheers, mate. Tonight. Lovely stuff. Thank you, Scott, and all the best with everything you do with Fast Fit Strong, um, guys. Let's know what you thought of the podcast. Any questions? Uh, hit us up, uh, and we will get back to you and try and include some of them in podcast questions to some of our guests. We do have more awesome podcasts coming, so stay tuned and subscribe to us on uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, and of course give us a five star review. And of course keep checking us out uh, at RugbyRenegade.com, the web's number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Until next time. 
Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade Podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.